Here we go. My name's Todd. This is Kathy. Welcome back to another episode of Zen Parenting Radio. This is podcast number 512. Why listen to Zen Parenting Radio? Because you'll feel outstanding. And always remember our motto, which is the best predictor of a child's well-being is a parent's self-understanding. On today's show, um, you're going to talk about Malcolm Gladwell, conversation with Oprah. A little bit. Uh, just a quick uh, shout out about to 60 Minutes, and I'll explain what that's all about in a second. Um, we're going to talk about uh, childhood emotional neglect. Um, I just watched a YouTube clip of some lady named Dr. Janice Webb. You ever heard of her? I thought it was just Joyce. This is Jonice, J-O-N-I-C-E. Okay. Um, one of our um, listeners said, have you ever done an episode on childhood emotional neglect? And I said, I don't think so. I mean, not specifically. Well, I was just saying to Todd that there is a lot of different language sometimes to explain the same phenomenon. So this is specifically these words, um, because they actually call it CEN, mm-hmm. childhood emotional neglect, is often used in clinical circles. But it's not so different than other things we've talked about before as far as being conscious and aware of your upbringing and your where you got your who taught you emotions. And yeah. and when I say that, I don't mean someone in school taught you emotions, but who modeled it, who modeled emotional expression to you? Because th- usually the way it was modeled and how, how it was responded to, mm-hmm. um, is then what we come to believe is the way we should interact with people. And a lot of times there's a lot of blind spots there and things we don't even realize we were missing until we get in emotion or excuse me, until we get in relationship with other people. And then we realize, wait, I might be missing some things or we just go out into the world and we realize that we don't have a lot of emotional fluctuation. I was, I was saying to uh, Todd that some people just really walk around saying, I feel good. I feel bad. I feel comfortable. I feel uncomfortable. What movie is this from? I feel good. I feel great. I feel wonderful. I feel good. I feel great. I feel wonderful. Hmm. Let me think. Give me some hints. Um, he went to, um, he's a famous actor who's known for his comedic acting. We've seen it many times. The girls love it. Um, the guy wears a blue shirt through half the movie and it says, don't hassle me. I'm local. Oh, I know what it is. It's uh, what about Bob? What about Bob? Why do you have so many pieces of paper? That should be on um, pop culture. What about Bob? Speaking of pop yeah. culturing, we got a good one this Wednesday on the Netflix series called Unbelievable. Unbelievable. And actually, I would like to tie in some things that we're talking about today to the Unbelievable TV show, which we're discussing on pop culturing. So if you haven't watched Unbelievable, you must. Yeah. And if you have, you will love pop culturing tomorrow um, yeah. because we go really deep into the show. But first, you know what we're doing next Monday? What? We are have a Zen talk. Reserved for only Team Zen subscribers, but if anybody's ever thought about just checking it out to see what it's like, I would say join now because we have Dr. John Duffy, um, who's our guest host, I guess. We're going to host with him. He's going to do some some question and answer. You guys are going to ask the questions and Dr. Duffy's going to answer and I get to sit there and not do anything, which is the best. Isn't that the best? Yes. Um, so if you want to know about more about Team Zen, go check it out, uh, go to our webpage and you'll figure it out somewhere. You know, that's part of the reason I like to go to classes and workshops and just kind of sit in the back because yeah. I don't have to do anything. Sweetie, but you are a nerd and you sit in the front. I do sit in the front. And you take good notes and then your sister asks to steal them from you in college. That was in college. She yeah. did. She didn't steal them. She said... You went to class. I didn't. Give me your notes. Yeah. And I was in the back uh, trying to count how many team times my teacher would laugh. She had that uncomfortable laugh that would happen all the time. Uh-huh. And I think she laughed 152 times in one wow. hour and 50 minute class. But um, quick take. All right. Uh-oh. Have you ever heard of a guy named Chance the Rapper, sweetie? I do. I know him. He's looking forward to more family time. Following the birth of his second daughter, Marley, the Chicago rapper announced that he's postponing his scheduled fall tour for his full-length debut, The Big Day. And he said, I thought it, o- I thought it over for the fa- past weeks, and I've decided to push back my tour. I need to be as helpful and available as possible to my wife in these early months of raising Kensley and Marley. Chance explained that he didn't take a paternity leave in 2015 following the birth of daughter Kensley, who's now four, and he didn't want to make that same mistake again. This year has been one of the greatest of my life, marriage, new baby, first album, but with it being so eventful, it's been also been very strenuous having to divide my time and energy between family and work. When Kensley was born, I went on tour just two weeks later, 
and missed some of the most important milestones in her life. But more importantly, I was absent when her mother needed me right. the most. Right. I just love that. Chance. Well, he's... Chance is... Uh, I want to uh, love Chance, but I don't like his style of music. And I think his... Have you listened to Chance the Rapper? Yes. You're saying that without really... What song does he sing? I don't know. Okay. Just, I don't know songs from my favorite bands, much less... This is true. Yeah. Todd doesn't know the names of songs. But what I will say is, first of all, you have to listen to decide whether or not you like I have. Not. Oh, you have. I listen to, to one part of one song. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I'm just not a rap guy. Right. Regardless... Um, I've always had uh, a deep respect for him because he continues to do very self-evolved, conscious things. Yes, and I know he's not a perfect person. Someone may say, "Yeah, yeah." But well, what about this? Well, I'm I understand who has who who is perfect for correct sakes. But he, I, he makes him more of a positive influence than a negative. Do you know one. something that's funny about doing podcasting or or being a teacher or writing or whatever? Is the way that our brains get hardwired is you know what people are going to say back to you. Yeah. You know well, what I mean? Once you do something long enough, you kind of know. And that's what I mean is that whenever I say something like I've always respected Chance the Rapper's decisions, it's inevitable that someone will raise their hand and say, but what about this thing? Yeah. And that may occur. Um, but what I'm focusing on is his ability to be a pioneer and to maybe make choices that haven't been made before based in love and relationship rather than money or power and his decision-making to give money toward education and realizing that, especially because he's from Chicago, the schools in Chicago require an uplift to say the least, and that he is willing to come in and say, how can I help? Um, He values education, relationships, and his own self-awareness. And to me, that's something to... Um, admire. That's right. Um, I'm about to turn the podcast over to you, but before um, 60 Minutes uh, had Chanel Miller on last night, mm-hmm. and she is the victim of survivor. The, the survivor, thank you, of the assault um, three or four years ago, sexual assault mm-hmm. uh, from a convicted uh, felon, Brock, Turn- is, Brock yeah. Turner, mm-hmm. and it's we. It's about a half hour long. But if you're like, oh, I didn't TiVo it. TiVo. Nobody TiVos. I didn't DVR it. Um, I didn't tape it with my Betamax. Just uh, just uh, subscribe to a 60 Minutes podcast and it's there. And if you don't listen to the podcast, I got it like um, Yeah, if you're from, on the if you're on your computer, you yeah. can like just go to 60minutes.com. Yeah. But, you know, most people listen on their phone. Sure. And you know, we're going to talk uh, again this that story. Um, say her name again for me. Chanel Miller. Chanel Miller's story. I always say I always want to say Chantel. Chanel Miller's story um, is again very connected to the show Unbelievable that we're going to talk about in pop culturing, and also connected to um, a little bit of what we're going to talk about today because it just so happens that in Malcolm Gladwell's new book, um, talk he to strangers. Talks, is that what it's, it's called talking to strangers. Yeah. He actually talks about that specific case. Yeah, um, it's really. You have to, when you're talking about something like sexual assault um, or any kind of, you know, victimization or inequality for that matter, it's very nuanced. Not the fact that she was sexually assaulted. That's not nuanced. She was. Mm-hmm. That's, But there's all these pieces that come together that make that happen. Yeah. And you can see the big picture and still know that the consequences are necessary. Yeah. Meaning that he still did what he did, but in uh, Malcolm Gladwell's book, he talks about the role of alcohol and the, you know, the fact that we haven't talked to boys and or girls for, well, no, girls have been talked to forever about these things, but um, maybe some girls don't recognize their vulnerability in most girls situations. have been talked about how to keep themselves safe. Most, most have. boys have not been talked about, talked to about making the world safe make, and, and their own responsibility as a human being yes. and that they, that the choices they make do have a consequence and that, that the, what consent means and all the things that Todd and I have talked about on this show a million times before, but it was really, it was just interesting because Todd and I went from, you know, talking about Unbelievable and watching that show, and we always discuss sexual assault and healthy masculinity and 
making sure that women are heard. And then to hear Malcolm Gladwell, you know, talk about, but this is kind of a nuanced thing because is this really the entirety of who Brock Turner is? Well, just like we said with Brian Stevenson, he, he represents people who have murdered, who's done horrible things, but we are not, we are not the worst action that we have displayed to the world. Correct. We are bigger than that. And can we, this, and this is something people struggle with because they get very, they get lost in the dichotomy of you're with me or against me. They don't live the gray, but can the ability to make space for all of that doesn't mean the consequence isn't there anymore. Mm -hmm. It just means there's more room for learning, understanding, forgiveness, um, you know, reforming, like when there's no space, when we can't see how somebody's, when we can't see the full humanity of a person, Mm -hmm. we're going to, we'll get lost. And that is actually Todd, very connected to this. I I think you probably wanted to do this first. No, we could do whatever you you start with wherever you want to start. Well, they're also intertwined that maybe we'll just start with this, but then I'm going to go back and forth between the two. So As Todd said, we are talking about, um, uh, what is it called? Childhood Emotional Neglect. C-E-N. And so, yeah, so it's often referred to as C-E-N. And the book that um, you already said the book, but it's called Running on Empty. Empty. Overcome Your Childhood Emotional Neglect. Yes. Um, And actually, she has another new book called Running on Empty No More, Transform Your Relationships. Mm -hmm. So this is obviously what she teaches the most, right? But again, as I said, even though this is her viewpoint and maybe her language, it's not that different from having understanding what it means to be a conscious parent and recognizing the baggage you carry, the blind spots you have, and making a decision to not pass them on. Mm -hmm. It also is important to understand looking back over your childhood and having an understanding and appreciation for how you were raised and not thinking that it's as, as dichotomous again, like we said, as I was raised good or I was raised bad, Right. (laughs) you know, like your parents in every situation did the best they could. And how do we know that? Because that's what they did. That's what they had. That's the reality. That's like falling in love with reality is they did the best uh, because if they knew any better, they would have done better. Right. And that's just what happened. Exactly. This is what occurred. It's kind of like I did the best I could on my test and I got a D. Well, you didn't do the best you could. Actually, unless you're purposely trying to get answers wrong, right? which I think 1% of the people, the contrarians out there might want to do for whatever reason, or parents want to purposely screw their kids up. Most parents are doing the best they can. They just have so much trauma and baggage and neglect that they can't help but deal with it. They have limited understanding of what they're doing. And this is what the shift is um, that I think Zen Parenting Radio is based on, has always been based on. I mean, our tagline is the best predictor of a child's well-being is a parent's self-understanding. And basically what that means is unless you understand yourself in your own history, you're doomed to repeat patterns that may not be in the best interest of you or your child or your partner or the world. You have to have a a broadened understanding of where you came from and what happened to, and, and it's twofold, to one, pull from it the things you never want to lose, like tradition and culture and maybe memory making and um, and the love that you felt and the lessons you learned. You got to be able to pull that too. And at the same time to have a, a recognize the things that didn't work that you would of, like to not repeat. Yeah. And first thing is you have to be aware of what didn't work. And then you got to make a decision to put it down. Right. And Todd and I were talking about um, how, you know, clients that we've worked with, and this happens with my students a lot too, when you start talking about their childhood, depending on the relationship that they have with their parents, um, they there is often a defensiveness of, no, my parents didn't do anything bad. Yeah. Just uh, like, I don't know, a lot of adults, they either demonize their parents or they hold them up to this pedestal that isn't true. Can I define what emotional neglect is according to Dr. Jonice Webb? Sorry if I'm mispronouncing your name, Doc. Emotional neglect is a parent's failure to respond enough to a child's emotional needs. Emotional neglect in some ways is the opposite of mistreatment and abuse. Whereas mistreatment, mistreatment and abuse are parental acts, emotional neglect is a parent's failure to act because it's an act of omission it's not visible 
noticeable or memorable. Emotional neglect is the white space in the family picture. Right. And a lot of times you can't, there is, there's neglect. The way we often think about neglect is like a parent who doesn't feed their child or doesn't clothe their child or, you know, it's a very blatant Mm -hmm. form of neglect, but we usually can't see the more emotional side of neglect until we're older. Mm -hmm. A lot of times, maybe in our teenage years, we can, Mm -hmm. which is why sometimes there's rebellion uh, of, you know, where as our brain grows and as we mature, you know, and our prefrontal cortex matures, where we can actually see all these different pieces, we start to recognize, wait a second, mm-hmm. this wasn't fair or, or I, you didn't help me with this. And so that's sometimes why there is more, um, uh, what conflict right. in the teenage years. But a lot of times we don't figure this out till we have our own kids. Well, and I think the reason that it's hard to figure out is exactly what I just said. It's an, it's an act of omission. Like, let's say, you know, you got, you got spanked with a belt until you were 10 years old by your mom. It's like, obvious. That's memorable mm-hmm. because it's something, you know, our brain can attach to an act. Mm-hmm. Whereas our brain has a harder time attaching to the absence of an act. The unknown of what I didn't yeah, get. Yeah, it's the this is invisible. Right. Okay. Exactly. Exactly. So, um, I came up with a few examples of what that is, but you go ahead. Well, let's, let's talk about the, the three different types. And again, there's obviously more in here and these can overlap, but this is just the way the author lays them out. And actually Todd, she started with, uh, her types that I printed out. Type one was the well-meaning. Okay. Okay. So it's kind of going backwards. So number three is the most challenging. Is that okay? Sure. I just didn't want to throw you off. So the first type of neglect, emotional uh, neglect is the well-meaning, but neglected themselves parents. So what is that? That's the kind of parent who continues to parent the way that they were parented. They didn't evolve at all. They didn't evolve from their childhood. And they just said, this is how I was raised. So this is what we're going to do. Yeah. Or they were raised a certain way, maybe with blind spots to their own emotional needs, and then they just kind of take on what the culture tells them to Mm -hmm. do. They don't consider maybe this could be hurtful, or maybe I shouldn't be in alignment with something that overstresses my kids, but because they're not considering their own feelings and how they'd react, they just impose it. So it's uh, it's mostly from childhood, but then it can also be culture. So, you know, it's that well-meaning parent. They, They, you know, sometimes it's, it can show up, like you were saying before, as permissiveness, mm-hmm. um, you know, where they just like let their kids do everything. But it can also be like in overachievement and perfectionism, mm-hmm. where it's like, I want my kid to be happy. So I am going to, um, you know, I'm going to make sure that they're in every activity. I'm going to make sure that they get straight A's and I'm doing this out of love for them because this is what they need. Yeah. And there could be a combination of that. That's either how they were raised how they weren't raised and they wish they were, mm-hmm. or that they are just, again, aligning themselves with maybe the culture of the school or sure. the community. Um, we actually today, we were supposed to do a podcast with uh, Julie Lithcott-Hames, who is going to be at our school tonight. Um, she ended up having an emergency. Um, and so we'll just have to chat with her tonight when we get there. But she talks about in her book, How to Raise an Adult, the this idea, this achievement perfection sure. model, this helicopter parenting model, where we haven't parents haven't stopped to consider right. the consequences of this kind of parenting, right. and a lot of times um, it is overtly harmful. Yeah, um, but it is not. They don't take the time to really notice. What is what are the long term implications of what I'm doing? Am I doing it for me? Am I doing it for them? Is it really even the right thing to do? Okay, that okay. was the first kind. Okay, so now let me say one more thing about this. Most people have some version of this. Yeah, okay? we all do because we have all we like, all were uh, as kids. This happened to us, and as adults, I'm sure that there's moments where we omit. Of course. And that's the whole thing. It's invisible. We yeah. don't know what our kid needs in that moment. Yeah. Cause I know personally, like in this, you know, situation, the well-meaning, but neglectful, um, it, it may not be, again, it's not obvious neglect. It's things like, you know, your child is more sensitive or has more emotion and you tell them, you know, you shouldn't be sad or it's ridiculous to be anxious or it's ridiculous that you don't want to go to sleep with the, you know, lights out. And so some of it is a little more, it's not so heavy handed, Mm -hmm. but it still continues the blind spots. Okay. Okay. The next one is the struggling parents. Okay. And basically that's the, 
that's growing up in a home where either there's some emotional instability, um, there's some financial instability, maybe there's divorce that's that, you know, and again, many people can divorce in such a way that keeps things relatively stable, but Mm. some divorces are really brutal. Um, It could also be if in your family, there's a, um, if the family is caring for someone who has special needs and that takes on all the energy and emotion of the family. So basically this, the struggling parents model is because the parent is, they have so little time, so little energy that they literally don't give you what you need because they don't have the space for it. They're empty. They're empty. They're, they're, or they're filled, they're filled up. They're filled up. They don't have yeah, the capacity. Not, kind of both. Yeah. They're so filled that they're empty. They can't of, give. Yeah, right. exactly. So many of us have been in that situation too, right? Mm-hmm. And maybe it was just for a period of time. Yeah. Like, you know, maybe it's like two or three years where it's like, I did not get what I needed, but it somehow impacted you because it could have been at a time that you were transitioning into your teen years or you were starting at a new school or you had to move. You know, like it, it's it's very... Um, there's a lot of different layers and okay. nuances. And then the third one is the more um, obvious kind of neglect, the self-involved parent who is a narcissist, an authoritarian, uh, maybe an addict, um, a sociopath, yeah. possibly. And this is the the narcissistic parent wants the child to help him or her feel special. Mm-hmm. So this is the parent who basically has children to fulfill their needs. Right. Um, and, I, and I feel like all three of these things, I mean, runs wild and... Our society, I think, I don't know if anybody falls only in one of these three groups. I think most parents have moments or or times or years where they are struggling. And then there's another time where, you know, their own history contributes to it. And then there's another time where um, they are selfish, you know? Well, I think the, the difference, though, is you have to, t- like every human being, yeah. Todd, every day sometimes makes a, a selfish de- decision. Mm. But we're talking about over the long run of a person's um, Which one do you psychological makeup. Exactly. Like there's the type three, mm. um, even though there's plenty of people who can relate to that, that's not like that's not super common Mm -hmm. for majority of parents. Okay. Like they may have narcissistic moments, but overall their belief system isn't necessarily that my, my child is just here for me to get something from. That's not that common. I think the other two, well, it is common, but what I mean is when you're saying all parents can be like that, not yeah. necessarily, because right. not all parents are narcissistic or, or addicted or sociopathic. So can I, so there may be some adults listening and okay. not quite, you know, they're just li- hearing this uh, childhood, emotional neglect, <laughs> childhood emotional neglect for the first time. I never heard of That this. language, yeah. So this is how, this is like a quick litmus test to see if you may fit into this category. Do you have... Diff- Wait, which category are you in? You're not clear. Childhood um, emotional neglect. Not the three specifics, but just was I a participant as a child of being neglected? So did I receive... Did yeah. I, Did I not participate? Did I experience? Experience this. Right. So as an adult, do you have difficulty knowing or trusting the emotions as, uh, as an adult? Like, do you have a hard time identifying your own emotions? Your own emotions. Yeah. Do you have difficulty understanding your own feelings as well as others? Um, you might have difficulty trusting and relying upon others. And many describe uh, feelings that they are different from other people, like something is wrong with them, but they're just not sure what it is. Mm-hmm. So that is kind of the garden variety person who uh, finds themselves as adults like, what's wrong with me? Like, I know I don't feel like other people. Mm. I don't. And when I look back in my childhood, nothing seems to be overtly wrong. Right. I can't think of a time that I had this horrible trauma. But yet life feels a little bit more empty and people seem more connected than I do. And I'm not sure why. Well, I can even break it down even more through the types. Okay. So like the type one, uh, the well-meaning, but maybe the parent who didn't, you know, they maybe didn't see the needs that you needed, even though they wish they could have or sure. would have. Um, so that's more of the you know achievement perfection, or they just didn't see your emotional well-being. This is kind of what you would feel if you fall under that cut category. You love your parents, um, but you're surprised by the inexplicable anger you sometimes feel toward them. Gordy from Stand by Me. Well, his was his wasn't a, a, a his father had 
he was more of the number three type. Not Teddy Duchamp, Gordy. He Gordy, was, that exactly, Gordy. So Thank Gordy you. was the young man who, um, he was the narrator of Stand By Me, for those of you guys who have seen it. We did, we did a pop culturing on it. But he couldn't stand his dad, and his dad never laid a hand on him, never really did anything, whereas Teddy, the other kid, played by Corey... Corey Feldman. Feldman. He defended his dad at no cost, even though his dad physically abused him. So right. Gordy couldn't figure out why he didn't like his dad. So I'm not, there's like five more here. Okay, so, go ahead. so first of all, you have inexplicable anger. You feel confused about your feelings about your parents. You feel guilty for being angry at them. Mm-hmm. Being with your parents is boring. Your parents don't see you or know the real you as you are today. You know that your parents love you, but you don't necessarily feel feel it. Yeah. So again, this falls under the well-meaning parents who just kind of missed a lot of stuff. Yeah. They didn't know you yeah. because they were stuck in their own thoughts about what parenting should look like. Yeah. And maybe they had so many blind spots in their emotional, you know, growth yeah. that they couldn't pass on something to you they didn't have. Like, you know, these are discussions, you know, where I've even had these discussions with my mom about this, about how me being super sensitive, my mom didn't really get it. And not because she didn't want to get it, but because she didn't even know what that was. Right. You know, it's like you're having all these feelings. And if you have personally never experienced that, it's hard to give something that you don't understand. Yeah. And so these are and, and then there's the parent who's like, but I wanted you to have a better life than I did. And this is where it gets into conscious parenting. But what does that mean for that kid versus you? Like a parent may say, I want you to have a better life than I did. So here's how it's going to look. But you're only considering your version of what that means. Yeah. And you're not taking into account. And they will usually account- overcompensate what they lacked at the expense of meeting the needs of what this kid lacks. Like you're just parenting this kid as if. It's you. Yeah, as if it's you instead of your kid is somebody completely different that has a completely different set of needs. But yet we parent from the place of how do we get hurt and how do we make sure that they don't get hurt in the same way? Well, maybe this kid would be much more resilient if you if you didn't protect them from this one thing, but they might be more sensitive and you need to meet the need somewhere else. In another area where you say that shouldn't scare you because that didn't scare me. Right. And it's like, but it scares them because they're not you. Yeah. And the thing that you're most worried about is the thing they already got covered. Yeah. So it's, exactly. you have to back up. And this is kind of, again, this is why it's so close to conscious parenting or self-aware parenting or mindful parenting. I don't care what you call it. It really is just an ability to recognize what you're doing, why you're doing it, where where you got that information and can you be open enough to recognize maybe there's another way. Yeah. So this is the this first type of neglect is not so overt, mm. but it is the Gordy of yeah. like, I don't know what I know my parents love me, but I don't feel them mm-hmm. because they don't seem to know me. OK, uh, I, I had another Hollywood example. Let me hear. But go ahead. No, no, go ahead, because I don't I want to move on. Cameron from Ferris Bueller. Yes. Yeah. I mean, we don't know exactly what happened, but it seemed like his parents were very distant. Yeah. Not really. His house was a museum. Right. Couldn't touch anything. Right. Um, They gave him all this privilege, you know, the big house and the car and everything. The community, the school. But yet he could not stand his dad. Right. Remember that? Right, I do. You're right. And you know, the reason I'm kind of staring off into space is because you're 100% right with both of these examples, but sometimes they're so extreme that people are like, well, I'm not like Cameron. Mm. I'm not like Gordy. Mm. I love my parents. They did the best they could. They blah, blah, blah. And yet there's still this feeling. And it, here's the thing. It sounds like we're like saying, go, you know, this is a parenting show. We're not saying go blame your parents for everything. What we're saying is you can recognize all the good and still recognize the pieces that didn't work. Don't we do this in everything? And you don't then turn on your parents and say, how dare you not meet every single 100% need I had? You don't do that. You recognize that they gave you what they had and now it is your... It is your work to fill in those gaps as an adult. As a child, that's not expected of you. But now that you are an adult, you get to decide what to do next Mm. and how to recognize those blind spots. And it's a lot of work. Do you want to hear your uh, Cameron from Ferris Bueller do his work? Sure. I got to take a stand. I got to take a stand against him. 
I am not going to sit on my ass as the events that affect me unfold to determine the course of my life. I'm going to take a stand. I'm going to defend it. Right or wrong, I'm going to defend it. That's it. And then he goes ahead and destroys his dad's car accidentally. But I'm I'm having a different appreciation for this scene because he is evolving in that moment. Correct. Because what most, pushed him out of his comfort zone. What most of us would do is parent the same way our parents parented us. Mm-hmm. And he's ta- he, he said the words, he's taking a stand. So when he has kids in 10 years, he's going to do things a little differently. Possibly. Hopefully. See, here's the thing. There's also a lot of um, men and women who were part of the 60s movement and who were about free love Mm -hmm. and about, you know, had a whole different viewpoint from their parents and then ended up in the Senate and in Congress Mm -hmm. 20 years later. Okay. Um, My point in saying that is sometimes we, if we don't full, we'll like be rebellious at one point, but we don't fully acknowledge or realize ourselves and we can go back to kind of an old cellular pattern. Like when, what are, what's her name says in Breakfast Club, when you grow up, your heart, your heart dies. Yeah. So you've got all these kids, like I can't think of a lot of kids who don't have the experience that Cameron's having right here, but then do you carry that into adulthood as an awareness and as a memory, as an evolved sense of self, or do you just not have enough And again, there's no, I don't know if I have the perfect language for it. Do you revert back to old patterning because you're in a stressful situation? I think there's hope for Cameron in that scene. Yes, that's good. I I hope so too. And he is, what he's saying about taking a stand is I just need to show up as really who I am. I mean, this is the same as the other movie we did um, on pop culturing is in Dead Poets Society. You know, when, you know, what's his name? The guy who's in the play? Um, God, my brain. I know. We just did it a few weeks ago. Anyway, the kid who's... Neil. Neil, yes, who's in you. the play, and his dad's like, I don't want you to be in the play. I want you to be a doctor, and here's what you're going to do. And again, that situation is a little different because his dad was threatening to take him out of school. He didn't have a lot of control. Yeah, there were some overt actions going on. But he, the whole thing that he needed to do was tell his dad who he is. But he, you know, like Cameron, was scared to do that, and... And this is a lot of, and and what's unfortunate is we have to remember as parents, when our children come to us and say, we are, what you're telling me or what you believe in, I don't fully believe in, or what you see is not who I am, or that they're not always being, and I'm putting this in air quotes, disrespectful. Yeah, They're trying to share their heart. And maybe you may say, oh, but in 20 years you'll thank me, or oh, you don't really know. But in this moment, even if you don't change the rules of your house, can you hear and see what they're saying? It doesn't mean that they then control everything. It means that you understand that maybe you're not you're missing part of who they are and that their willingness to tell you this is who I am can it it and this is conscious parenting again too, it widens you, it expands you. We're not supposed to be done knowing things, you Mm. guys. (laughs) Like as parents, just because we're parents doesn't mean we know everything. Our children are supposed to continue to expand our awareness. So anyway, the third one, um, the thing, oh, did I already read the, oh no, I didn't read this. So number two, the struggling parent is the one who is, uh, you know, as I said, is maybe um, going through a divorce or was, is depressed or is addicted or whatever it may be. Um, and what you'll experience as a child or as an adult is um, that you have great empathy towards your parents and a strong wish to take care of them, that you're grateful for all your parents have done for you and you can't understand why sometimes you're inexplicably angry toward them. You have an excessive focus on taking care of other people's needs, Mm -hmm. often to your own detriment, and your parents are not harsh or um, emotionally injurious toward you because, again, that was never something they wanted to be or whatever, but the hardships that they experienced created this kind of um, invisible neglect. Yeah, and I don't know if this fits into it, but it reminded me of a story about my mom who passed away about five years ago. She, when she was a little kid, she um, was so fed up with her home environment. She she was like, whatever, eight years old, mm-hmm. and she decided to run away. Mm-hmm. And she like, you know, got her suitcase um, without my grandma knowing 
and she she ran away under the porch mm-hmm. and sat there all day. Mm. And nobody knew. And nobody even realized that she was gone. Mm-hmm. And that I don't know, that kind of made me think like, yeah, that's some an example of some emotional neglect. Wasn't like, your grandma in an abusive relationship? Of course. Oh, and so that's an exact exactly an example where she was too filled with her own yes. challenges and trauma yes. to even notice that her daughter had been gone yes. all day. And that does lay an imprint of, I don't matter. Mm-hmm. And even if your grandma wasn't intentionally trying to, she wasn't sitting up all night thinking, how can I teach my daughter? She doesn't matter. Yeah. It inevitable. And this is the thing that's hard is that this is kind of what I was talking about before about the Mal- Malcolm Gladwell book of expanding and seeing things in a nuanced way. We can sit here and say our parents did the best they could because they were going through financial trouble or divorce or whatever. And you can have empathy and compassion for that. And at the very same time say, yet I didn't get my needs met. Yeah. And that's you. those things can live in harmony together. Right. It's not one or the other. It could be both. And you don't have to be even be angry at your parents. If you are angry, that's okay. You can work through that. But this isn't about like blaming someone. Yeah. This is about acknowledging maybe some things that you needed you did not get. Yeah. And that is the beginning of making new choices. Right. And the first step is always awareness. Correct. You got to... And, and most of us, most people who suffer from... CEN are probably not aware that they were neglected. No. So you need to at least identify that this happened first and then hopefully work through some feelings. And while at the same time, you can love your parents the whole time. And you don't even need to tell them. No. Here's the thing that when we always talk about forgiveness and stuff, people think it's like you go to somebody and yeah. ask for forgiveness. It's the same thing with this. Like you don't have to say to them, you know, mm-hmm. there was a lot of blind spots. Right. It's this your work anyway. for you. It's your work. And you, I think that, and I know this from practice and from research, is the more you can deal with and look at your situation growing up in a more observant and open-minded way, the more compassion you end up having for your parents. Mm -hmm. It doesn't go the other way. Like a lot of people who sit in treatment with their arms crossed, you know, across their chest saying, no, my parents were perfect. They did nothing wrong. They actually carry more anger yeah. when you actually can release some of that grief about what you didn't get yeah you have a greater ability to be compassionate and understanding towards your parents because you realize they really didn't have it to give yeah but it doesn't mean you didn't need it so dr webb um has um a quiz on her website and i don't know if this is a good time or if you we have one more one more okay so the type three self-involved parent the narcissist authoritarian uh sociopath whatever these are the signs that you'd look for if this was your situation. You often feel anxious before seeing your parents. You find yourself hurt when you're with your parents. It's not unusual for you to get physically sick right before, during, or after seeing your parents. Um, Your relationship with them feels false or fake. It's hard to predict whether your parents will behave in a loving or rejecting way toward you. Your parents seem to be playing games with you or manipulating you or maybe even trying to purposely hurt you. So that is, you know, that's a, those tend to be the adult behaviors if you were raised with someone who was, you know, falls under that narcissism, authoritarian, addicted, sociopathic. So again, the goal is not to then turn on your parents. The goal is to look at all those and say, what needs what like you know because the inner child still lives within us what do i need that i didn't get and can i get that through therapy or through coaching or through journaling or meditation or group work or you get to love yourself you get to as i i you know i say to myself a lot in my own meditation in my mind of course not out loud i get to parent myself right now like what would the more evolved kathy say to the four-year-old kathy yeah you know what or I mean? Or even the present day Kathy. Right. If you're trying to get through something. Well, the present day Kathy is taking notes from the four-year-old Kathy, yes. which is why she can't get through something. Right. And, or the 10-year-old or the 12-year-old. Sure. And the more evolved version of me, the wise woman in me, has to say, let me parent you, not let me shoot you down and you know slap your hand, but say, I understand why you're afraid, yeah. but let's move forward anyway. Yeah. So. Go ahead. You were going to do a quiz. So real quick, there's this quiz. There's actually 22 questions. I'm not going to go over all of them. Um, But before I do, I want to 
do a quick plug for our partner of the week, Jeremy Kraft from Avid Company. If you live in the Chicagoland area and you have some home projects coming up, painting a kitchen, uh, redoing a room, whatever it is, Jeremy is your guy. Go to avidco.net, 630-956-1800. And let me also say this, Zen Parenting Conference 2020. Yeah. Um, first of all, we have such an amazing lineup already, and we are um, announcing three new speakers yeah. in the next couple of weeks. So there is more to come. But if you are planning on attending my pre-conference workshop, you need to get your ticket right now because it's almost sold out. Yeah. So if you are going to go to the conference and you're like, yeah, I'm going to go. I'm just not getting my ticket yet. Get it. Um we first of all, Early Bird is open right now, and it's only open for another month. Mm. There's no if you're going, there is no reason to pay the extra money. Get your ticket and get your pre-conference workshop ticket because it is limited space. As- and there's also one for guys too. So if there's a guys out there that want to uh, participate in the pre-conference workshop for the first time ever, we have a guys workshop beforehand too. So go to ZenParentingRadio.com. There's 22 questions on here, and I said yes to one, two, three, four, four of the 22. So I don't think of myself as somebody who um, has ever suffered from childhood emotional neglect. My parents were not close to perfect, but in my experience, I don't feel like I'm in that category. Okay. Um, you tell me if you say yes to any of these. I, I don't oh, think you I'm going to do, do that. Okay, well, I'll, I'll tell you mine. Sometimes, uh, so these are questions. Do you sometimes feel like you don't belong with your friends or family? My answer was no. Okay. I, I feel like I belong. Do you pride yourself on not relying upon others? No, I okay. feel like I'm good at that. This is one I said yes to. Do you have difficulty asking for help? I think I, right. I'm I'm overly independent right. and I need to lean on others. Can I stop you for a sure. second though? Because you know I can't stand quizzes and yeah. this is why. Okay. This could be a million different reasons. Right. It's an indicator. It's a guidepost. It's not the answer. Right. But I don't want people to think if they answer their, this is, this gets the really dicey. The more yeses you have, the more likely it is that you have to look at this. That's all. Okay. But it, but it could also look at something that happened two weeks ago or that you experienced something at work that was traumatic. Like it's not... It's a vehicle for introspection. Okay. It's not the answer. Okay. Number four, uh, do you have friends or family who complain that you're aloof or distant? For me, that's a no. For some people, I'm sure I would say yes to that. Number five, do you feel that you have not met your potential in life? I feel that's a yes for me. Sometimes I feel like I have more to do. I'll do two more and then I'll move on because I know this isn't your thing, sweetie. Do you often just want to be left alone? Not me, man. No. <laughs> I need people around. Um, I had an opportunity to live by myself in college. I'm like, screw that. That's boring. I'll go into this room that everybody parties in. <laughs> <laughs> Last one that I said a yes to. Do you judge yourself more harshly than you judge others? Absolutely. Right. And let's, and again, that could be for many reasons. That's what I mean. Yeah. I mean, I, I'm saying yes, but do I think I suffer from childhood emotional neglect? Absolutely so not. So it's an initial, it's an, ini- ugh, I can't say the word, an initial it. tool. That's all it is. To start the introspection. That's all it is. And even just to use it and say, yes, some of this is from my childhood, but maybe there's experiences that I had later in life that were more traumatizing from a peer from a well, you know coworker, a coach. Well, and for me, uh, when I said yes, do you feel like you have not met your potential in life? I think that's my number three. My enneagram type is three, which right, is the achiever. the achiever. It's got nothing to do with my parents. Right. I just feel like I was. Well, and you're, it's going to sound like I'm flip flopping on you. Everything has to do with everything. Like but the, the enneagram, as far as I could tell, there's a part of it that has nothing to do with your conditioning since you were born, it's how you showed up. No, it, it it's two things. Right. Number it's one, both. well, it is part, part of it is how you came into the world. Yeah. And the other part is what you needed to use to make it in your home. Mm-hmm. What is the skill set? And doesn't that make sense to you that because you are the golden child of your family, mm-hmm. you found out that achieving and striving gave you what you needed. Right. But don't you also think I also showed up in this world as that? Right. It's the two joined. Yes. Because you could have showed up in this world as who you are, soul, Todd. Mm-hmm. You're the soul. Um, and then we get into you chose where you're going to go and everything. I understand, you know, there's a whole nother layer as far as where our soul goes. Um, but then the family you were in then dictated how your soul was going to manage. Yeah. So it's like, you could have also, if you had different parents, you could have become a two and been like, I'm going to use this, who I am, Todd as a soul and just help everybody. Mm-hmm. But you learned that the path that benefited you was the achiever. Right. 
Yeah. Okay. It's nature and nurture. Nature. Yes. The two combined. Yes. Um, so anyways, I don't want to go any more questions because I think that you might think that it's boring. No, it's, I'm not bored at all. And I don't want you to think that it's not valuable. I just, I'm, I'm a big, um, kind of going through this right now with uh, my book and stuff. Like the, the word that I finally found that I, that helps me is that there's absolutely nothing prescriptive about this. This is all a very personal. So like when someone gives you a quiz, um, but like there's value to quizzes, right? It gets the ball rolling. That's it. Right. But how does our culture treat quizzes? Um, well, if it's the SAT, it inflates its, its importance. Correct. That. Thank you. You said that perfectly. We inflate its importance. If you can go into a quiz and just be like, this is just getting the ball rolling, that's a whole different thing. But if you take a quiz and it says, oh, you're, you, know, you scored a seven, you're a narcissist. Right. No, that's not necessarily true. It's right. just a thing on paper. No, I understand that. And, you know, like, but there, once again, there's an over importance of quizzes, but like the love language quiz, I love. Yes. Like that's really, really helpful. Right. And we were just talking about the Enneagram to even get started on the Enneagram, you take a quiz, but then after you take the then quiz, you start, then you start the work. Then you start the this work. This is the beginning of the work. Good. I like that. Okay. Right. I'm, I'm down with you. Okay. Um, so Another thing that I, I'm trying to figure out how to to bring this in. Okay, so one of the biggest pieces I think about um, childhood emotional neglect, or we'll just call it becoming more self aware. Like you know what you know why I struggle is because it sound the energy because I'm a word person. The energy of childhood emotional neglect sounds so. Dun, dun. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, it's a thing. Versus like you didn't get all your needs met and now you can become self-aware. It's like just twisting the language so you can hear it without being afraid. Right. Because I think sometimes words make people feel afraid or they feel like they're labeled or diagnosed and you don't need to do that to yourself. But one of the pieces of becoming more self-aware in adulthood is realizing your emotional expression. Because sometimes, even with the most well-intended parents, that's something that gets really lost, is do you understand your feelings? And do you understand why you feel the way you do? And if you do feel a certain way, do you feel ashamed, um, shameful, guilty about it? Um, and these are these are challenges that we face if we raise our kids without language around feelings. Like, like we'll just play a game, Todd. Like let's, let's go off the word anger. Mm -hmm. Think about how many surrounding emotions are around anger, like frustration, Mm -hmm. um, disappointment. Um, can you think of some like, uh, um, you know, seething, enraged, enraged, a million different million variables within anger. Right. And so if you did, were not raised with all that variability, then you end up walking around thinking you're either angry or not, good or bad. You're very, again, dichotomous, you're very black and white. Mm-hmm. You're either, you're, you know, it's like I say to my college students all the time, how many of you feel stressed? And they all raise their hand. And then I say, okay, what is your stress about? Like, what are you stressed about? And they don't really even know. Mm-hmm. They just have used the umbrella terminology of stressed and they can't even parse out, am I sad? Yeah. Am I scared? And this is, these these emotional words, they're not just words to label. They help you understand what you need. Yeah. Okay. So I want to read a few examples of this. I posted this on the Team Zen page today because I think it's really helpful um, about what our emotions can teach us. Okay. If you have an understanding of what you're feeling is bitterness, and what do you what do you feel when you feel bitter, Todd? What's do you have you ever can you think of a time you felt that emotion? Mm, not offhand. I just bitter sounds like anger to me. It well, this is what I'm trying to say is it's it is anger, but it's an offshoot of anger. Bitter is not just it's not synonymous. So as I've been taught, there's five basic emotions. There's anger, there's fear, there's sadness, there's joy, and there's creativity. And I feel like bitterness is probably a combination of anger and sadness. And there's, so I feel like these core emotions kind of get blended in this Petri dish and Mm -hmm. then it comes out as bitterness. I can see that. I I see exactly what you're saying that really, if you use those cores, it's like making colors, Mm -hmm. right? It's like primary colors and then making colors. So bitterness, um, what bitterness can tell you if you, cause I'm going the positive way, like what is bitterness trying to help you with? Mm -hmm. It shows you where you need to heal 
where you're still holding judgments on, uh, you're still ju- holding and on judging others or yourself. Okay. So bitterness, if you can detect that feeling that it may come up like a red anger initially, but really what are you? And it's like, I kind of think of bitterness and resentment very in the similar place. And resentment, if you can realize that you're holding on to resentment, it shows you where you're living in the past and not allowing the present to be as it is. Because resentment is usually old. Yeah. Bitterness kind of has that too, but has, I think I could probably come up with experience, like experiences where I'm more resentful does sound old, doesn't it? Right. I resent you for what you did 10 years ago. Right. Where bitterness may be more like in this moment, um, you didn't mention me in your speech and mm-hmm. it makes me feel a little bitter sure. that you don't recognize me. Sure. So there's a little different Discomfort. So this is a really general word, but shows that you need to pay attention right now to what is happening because you're being given the opportunity to change, to do something different than you usually do. So when you feel discomfort, it's an opportunity. Mm-hmm. Like I I am so probably overly interested in my discomfort about why am I feeling this way right yeah. now? Do you ever get in that situation where you're like, I'm uncomfortable and I don't even know why? Yeah. Like all the time, all the time. Right. Like sometimes I even wake up and I'm like, okay, what am I uncomfortable about today? Yeah. And usually sometimes it's real surfacey. Like I can narrow down, oh, we're interviewing someone today. I'm nervous or I have a presentation today. You know, there's, there's sometimes something and then you can even get to the core of it. So you're presenting and you feel uncomfortable about it. What does that mean? And then you dig into it and it's like, well, I don't want to be rejected or I don't, it always comes down to self-worth. Right. Um, another one, anger, just the basic red steamy anger, um, shows what you're passionate about, Mm -hmm. where your boundaries are and what you believe needs to change about the world. For sure. Yeah. Um, I mean, for me, and this is something I'm still working on, uh, my, I think I'm emotional, emotionally literate, which means I can, I know what, I know what the words means. Mm -hmm. I don't necessarily know. Sometimes I practice emotional intelligence, but sometimes I don't. And for me, emotional intelligence is the ability to recognize what emotion you're feeling right now. And recognize it in others. And uh, yeah, but you got to recognize it in yourself first if you're going to recognize it in others. For me, like... Absolutely. And the reason I put the two of them together is why do we need... Because everything in life is relational. Right. You if you, you have to know it in, your first, in yourself first. So then when someone else is grieving or sad, right. you understand to pay attention to it because you know how it feels. Right. And then the idea of... Um, first you need to recognize what emotion is and then we can talk about body intelligence like where where in your body does the sadness reside right. is it in your gut is it in your heart is it in your throat uh you know i get you, you know when when i get sad i get a lump in my throat right. like it's a physical manifestation right. or anger can be in your jaw or you know it can be anywhere but your like hips. and then can you express it so i think to be emotionally intelligent is to be have the capacity to not only recognize it but to be able to express it. So how do you express it? There's a million different ways. There could be breathing. It could be um, just the recognition that you have a lump in your throat. But if you want to be like a really, really good at emotional intelligence, not only just to recognize it, not only just to express it, but lastly, what you're talking about is the wisdom. What what can be learned right. from this emotion? Yes. And so for anger, it's usually like what needs to be changed. For sadness, it's what needs to be let go of. For joy, what needs to be celebrated. And felt, yeah. For fear, what needs to be... Um, What's blocking you? What needs to what needs to be known? Mm-hmm. What is unknown that mm-hmm. needs to be known? Right. Um, so those are just some examples of it. And I, I like, I wanted to say something about uh, body intelligence, um, body intelligence. Um, oh, and that sometimes what is lodged in there. So Todd gets a lump in his throat and he feels sadness. And then what keeps us from expressing it can be what we learned as children, Mm -hmm. which is you shouldn't feel sad, Mm -hmm. so that's a shame, or our culture, boys don't cry, so you shut it down. Um, So there's also, when you feel the feeling, recognize what is coming up to block it or change it. A lot of people, like in my women's circle and in any kind of group work or with my students or even in a session, when someone starts to cry and they start to apologize for crying, Mm Already, you know, that either in their home or culturally, they bought into the fact that they are somehow being frivolous or they shouldn't be crying or they're burdening me. 
So there's our, in, and I'm no different than them. Like I'm not saying they, and I'm so different. I've said sorry for crying too. And sometimes it comes out so unconsciously yeah. where you start crying. You're like, I'm so sorry. What are we apologizing for? But somewhere we learned that this kind of emotional expression is not okay. Totally. And you know, so we're talking about, this is a parenting podcast. So when your two-year-old or your 12-year-old melts down for whatever reason, what most of us do, including myself, most of the time is try to fix it. Oh, you're sad about this. Let's fix that. And what I've been doing lately that has been surprisingly helpful is that when Skylar melted down for something, her sisters were mean to her or whatever. And then she went in the bathroom, she closed the door. She didn't want anybody in there. And I, I tried this whatever trick that I learned on this podcast and I just said, can I, is there anything I do? No, nothing I could, nothing I, can I just sit here and be with you while you're sad? And she said, yes. So I didn't get on my phone. I was actually in the bathroom. So I sat on the toilet with the lid closed and I just sat there for like four minutes. Mm -hmm. It worked beautifully. She's Mm -hmm. like, I feel better. Can I go downstairs and eat my food? Cause I don't want to be with my sisters right now. (laughs) Absolutely. She let that go. I didn't do anything. I sat there. I was present with her. Now, the thing is, if you're a mom and you got three kids, it's hard to do to sit there and just allow them to have this experience and just be with them because you got two other kids that are that need something. But there's certainly moments where you can sit with them. So sure. that's my advice. And you know, if you she's younger, if you have a teen saying to them, Can I sit with you while you're sad? is probably not going to be accepted sure. because it sounds annoying. Yeah. So you wouldn't be as, you wouldn't say it as, as, deliberate, liter- as deliberately yeah. as Todd did. You would say something to the effect of, um, I'm going to be right outside the room if you need me. Mm-hmm. I'm here with you. Um, do you want me to just lay in your bed with you? Mm-hmm. Do you want me to just yeah. lay here while you make this phone call? Make it age appropriate. M- make it more natural rather than, can Chi-chi. I sit in here with right. you? Because the, the, Todd and I have been having those conversations lately about when something feels teachy or that you are like doing something that you read in a book, mm. your kids know. Mm. Like they're like, oh my God, stop being like making me your guinea pig for learning. But if you're a little more natural and fluid about it, um, there's a sense of... Totally hear you. Yeah. And you're right. It ne- The more natural it is, the better it'll land. But for me, that was kind of a new trick for me. So I needed to be a little bit more like, okay, what did he say on that podcast? Well, and what I want to be clear about is it was fine with her because she's much younger. Yeah. So she wasn't, she's not in that place yet of what's dad doing. Yeah. She's a little more like, sure, you can sit with me. You know, little kids... They, their language. It's not that they don't understand the language; they do, but they're not as highly. They're not. Yeah. They're not into the nuance of everything yeah. quite yet. Um, so we should probably close shop well, here. No, sweetie. actually, no. I have like two other things. All right, because I really want to thread these things together. Okay. So I'm going to read just a few more of these emotions, and then one more thing. Okay. So guilt um, shows you that you're still living life and other people's expectations of what you should do. Shame shows you that you're internalizing other people's beliefs um, about who you should be and that you need to reconnect with yourself. Um, anxiety shows it shows you that you need to wake up right now and that you need to be present, um, that you're either stuck in the past or in the future. And sadness shows you the depth of your feeling and your depth of caring Where'd for Where'd you others. get that chart? That's pretty good. I know. I told you. I found it on Facebook. And then just reposted. Will it you on send our that page. to me so I can include it's, it in the show notes? It's on our Zen Parenting page. Oh, on the not on Zen Parenting. It's on Team Zen. Oh, but the last thing I want to say is I'm going to go back to finish with Malcolm Gladwell's book again, and he talked about the in our culture how sometimes we have something called mismatched emotion. Mm-hmm. That because we have learned to maybe not demonstrate an emotion outwardly. Um, but we feel it inside, it can cause chaos in the outside world. He gives a bunch of examples. Um, and he started with this by saying he, part of his research was he watched some friends episodes Mm -hmm. and he realized that during friends, if you turned the sound down and you didn't even listen to their words, you could know what was going on in the story just because of their face. Yeah. If Monica's mad, her face was mad. If if Ross was confused, he looked confused. Yeah. If Chandler was, uh, you know, frazzled, he looked frazzled. And the reason why that's important is because, first of all, they're actors, and so that's what they're trying to convey. But our culture believes that's how it's supposed to be. 
If you are angry, you look angry. If you are sad, you look sad. They think life is a Friends episode, mm -hmm. right? But in real life, it doesn't always look that way. And that's what I wanted to connect to like the the unbelievable okay. podcast that we're doing for pop culturing. Sometimes when someone's traumatized or they're deeply afraid, the emotion they express on the outside is not really what they're feeling inside. Sure. It's more of a defensive tool. Yeah. But our society says, and again, if you haven't seen Unbelievable, it's about a girl who wasn't believed when she was raped because she didn't seem like she was raped because she was acting in a way that was different. And we think everything should fit these boxes. If you just get raped, you should be crying, crying. and upset and screaming. Yes. And many times these victims, survivors, survivors. protect themselves. Their, their body naturally exactly. protects themselves by shutting certain things down. Yep. And then they seem very normal. Or heightening another part yeah. where they may seem overexcited yeah. or moving a lot, but or they have complete blunt affect where you can't read them at all. Yeah. Like the Amanda Knox case, you remember that in Italy, the girl who ended up going to prison, she's out now, but for supposedly for allegedly killing her roommate. Um, the reason why the officials arrested her is because she wasn't acting the way they thought she should act. Right. They thought she, cause she was doing like cartwheels in the interrogation room. And the, when she hugged people, she was stiff. And they're like, if she was really sad, she would be crying and acting a different way. Right. So they assumed it was her and they built a case around her. So what Malcolm Clavel was saying in that interview with Oprah is it doesn't work in real life, specifically with people who just uh, experience trauma. trauma. Exactly. And that we can have that kind of thing too, where we will feel sad inside, but be laughing, but really we're sad. Yeah. And it's like a, it's mismatched emotion and it affects the way people perceive us. Yeah. And then that goes deeper into Malcolm Gladwell's book, which we're not doing today. But I just thought that was really interesting is sometimes recognizing like, why am I acting this way if I'm so sad? Mm -hmm. Not only does trauma look different, Grief looks different. Yeah. Sometimes what we do in grief is not cry. Sometimes we're angry. Well, sometimes and, we're... And, you know, sometimes you go to funerals, you see people laughing. You bet. You're at a funeral. What are you laughing for? There could be two things. One is because they probably just finished crying. Right. And they created some space right. for joy to show up and remember how important this person was. Or there's just this discomfort and you don't know what to do. So you laugh in the worst times ever. Exactly. And that... And that Understanding again, broadening your perspective, expanding your perspective that all of that fits rather than you're here, this is the way people act in this situation. Yeah. Maybe there's other, maybe they're expressing the same feeling, but in a different way. Yeah. We're not living in a friend's episode, yeah. even though many of us would like to be. Yeah, because you want to be who? I don't know. I, I always. I always kind of... So the best friend's character is Ross. Well, I love them all. I think yeah, I would I like know, to be Yeah, I know, but if you had to choose one of them, sweetie, come on. We all can oh, say that. Oh, boy. I don't know. I mean, I always identify... I always love Chandler, but I'm not Chandler. Um, that's not who I am. I always loved parts of Monica. I love parts of Rachel. I love parts of Phoebe. I know. I know you get annoyed when I say this. I know. I loved Ross. I didn't identify with Joey very much. Does that help? Five out of the six. Okay. Okay. Enough. Um, I want to say thanks to a few relatively new Team Zen members, Melissa from Seattle and Gail from Glen Ellen. Nice. So glad to have you on the team. Um, we do have some Zen friends, and a Zen friend is somebody who helps us with a scholarship fund to bring uh, parents who don't have the financial means to be able to get there on their own. Get to the conference. Get to the conference, the 2020 conference in February 2029 next year. And um, I'm going to revisit what I did last year, which was so great, which is I give nicknames to each of the oh, team, uh, sorry, the Zen friend people. So this could go off the rails. Um, so our first Zen friend is Karen Tuxberry, and her nickname is Karen Don't Call Me Tux Tuxberry. That's pretty good, right? I don't get right? it. I don't get well, it. You know, when she was a little kid, she probably got called Tux. I don't, bet. And she's like, don't call it. Don't call it? Is yeah, don't call me Tux. <laughs> Um, this is, you're going to hate this one. Oh boy. Jacqueline Forbes, who's on, uh, also a team Zen member. Um, Jacqueline, not Mark, but Matt Forbes, because Mark Forbes was my pledge trainer at college, but she's married to Matt. So it's not Mark, but Matt Forbes. Got it. That doesn't make sense to anybody but you. Lindsay Garfield. Oh boy. Lindsay, the cat Garfield. <laughs> I knew you were going to do you that. You get that one? I got it. Peggy Jividen. She's Peggy 
the Pog Bear dividend. That's her nickname in our family. I had a hard time with Millie, but I called Millie Millie one of my faves, she. Oh, okay. That's nice. And then lastly, this is kind of complicated, Kate V. Okay. Her name is Kate V. Right. And her nickname is Kate R-S-T-U-V. R-S-T-U-V. Are you trying to spell respect? What are you spelling? Sweetie, Kate R-S-T-U-V. A-B-C-D-E-F-G-H-A-J-K-L-M-P-Q-R-S-T-U-V. Oh, okay. Oh, boy. God. That's pretty good, we right? We need to work on that area. Well, you're more than welcome to throw some nicknames. So if you want me to make up a nickname for you, you become a Zen friend. And we'll see you at the conference. And you guys, let me tell you something about the Zen friend thing. As soon as people come in and support Zen friend, which you can do at the on the conference page, it gives you that option. And you get in the program. And you get in the program and we give you all sorts of props. Um, there are people, we get emails all the time about people who want to come but can't afford to fly and go to the conference. And you're, the money goes in and the money goes out. So thank you very much. Um, we appreciate your willingness to support other people who are trying to do everything they can in parenting and in life, just like you. John Fra- uh, John Duffy, next week, Team Zen, Zen Talk, uh, Coaching for Guys. Any guys out there for sessions free, go to my website, uh, toddadamscoaching.com, and Tribe Men's Group. We have a virtual meeting coming up a week from Wednesday. Go to tribemensgroup.org. See you guys Wait, next. Listen to Pop Culturing tomorrow. Oh, Pop Culturing tomorrow. It's going to be unbelievable. Unbelievable. Oh. Thanks for listening, everyone. Remember to subscribe to the podcast so you never miss an episode. And feel free to leave a five-star review on iTunes. It helps people find us. Also subscribe and review our Pop Culturing Podcast, a Gen X viewpoint on movies and TV with an emphasis on personal growth and self-awareness. It's basically the flip side of Zen Parenting Radio. Do you want more Zen Parenting? Check out our third podcast, otherwise known as Team Zen. One of our team members described it as an advice column meets group help meets like-minded community. With your $25 subscription, you get two live Zen Talks with an opportunity to ask us live questions, plus a Facebook community where you can interact or just listen to like-minded parents. If you can't join us live, you can still access all the Zen Talks through the Team Zen podcast app. Zen Parenting Conference 2020 is February 28th and 29th. We'll be discussing sex ed, gender, anxiety, neurodiversity, and healthy relationships. Go to zenparentingconference.com to get your tickets. Interested in inviting us to speak at your conference or organization? Go to zenparentingradio.com and submit a speaker request. And while you're there, check out our upcoming events or you can purchase one of my three books. If you ever shop via Amazon, you can help us out by first going through the Amazon link under the Support Us link on our homepage. It doesn't cost anything to you, but we get a small commission from Amazon. And guys, I have a one-on-one coaching practice. It's called Coaching for Guys. You want to achieve a better work-life balance or deepen your relationships with loved ones? We can talk in person, phone, FaceTime, you choose. And don't forget about Tribe Men's Group. We have a virtual community from men all over the world. Head on over to tribemensgroup.org or shoot me an email at todd at zenparentingradio.com. It's an opportunity for guys to come together and talk about what really matters. Finally, I want to give a special thanks to our founding partner, Jeremy Kraft. He's a bald-headed beauty, and the company he has is Avid. They do painting and remodeling throughout the Chicagoland area. Go to avidco.net or give them a call at 630-956-1800. Thanks for all your love and support, and keep on trucking.